You're listening to the Healthcare Goes Digital podcast. Get ready to be inspired as we explore provocative topics surrounding innovative technologies and ideas with top industry professionals, digital entrepreneurs, and provocateurs. At Impetus Digital, we believe that everything starts with a conversation. We aspire to act as the bridge to not only ignite these courageous conversations, but to also sustain them over time. We do this through our Insight platform, which features our award-winning Insight events and Insight Touchpoint solutions, and through these fireside chats. In the end, our hope is to collectively and positively disrupt healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Natalie Eden. CEO and co-founder of Impetus Digital, an all-in-one, fully-serviced virtual collaboration and communication solution for online meetings, events, conferences, and advisory boards for life science companies. Hi, everyone. My name is Natalie Yeadon. I'm the CEO and co-founder with Impetus Digital. At Impetus Digital, we have built some of the best-in-class asynchronous and synchronous virtual collaboration and communication tools. We have worked with pharmaceutical companies for the last 14 years to help them with everything from internal brand planning and strategy planning to virtual advisory boards to online medical education. Um, But what's really important is that we actually work with pharma companies and having a series of these touch points with payers, physicians, allied healthcare providers, and even patients working with them through a series of touch points to help them move strategies forward, plans, ideas, how to collaborate and work uh, with people like we're going to be talking to today. So um, check it out if you're interested in looking at that. But more importantly at Impetus, we really believe that everything starts with a conversation. And from these big, hairy, audacious conversations with some of the leading edge thinkers, some of the digital provocateurs, and some of the healthcare thought leaders, we can all work together to collectively and positively disrupt healthcare. So I'm super thrilled to having one of these healthcare thought leaders at the table with me today. This is actually Anthony Capone. He's the president of DocGo. Um, Here is where he's actually helped to build one of the largest providers of last mile mobile health services, as well as integrated medical transportation solutions in the United States. Um, Anthony holds a graduate computer science degree in artificial intelligence from Clarkson University, as well as has over 20 years of software engineering experience. He has also led three companies from start to successful exit. In addition to his roles at DocGo, Anthony is a member of the Forbes Tech Council, and he writes on a variety of different topics at the intersection of healthcare and artificial intelligence. Welcome, Anthony. So happy to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Natalie. It's a real pleasure. Absolutely. I will say, you know, having reviewed your background, it is super exciting. Um, You've done a lot of things here, uh, you know, working on the computer science side of things, but then going on to the more entrepreneurial route and actually starting companies, selling them. So you have this really interesting uh, experience. I was wondering if you could share with the audience a little bit about the career trajectory you have gone on and and what brought you uh, to DocGo. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's been, it's been quite the journey, and I am super, super lucky. You know, in life, majority of the the decisions which are most impactful to us, we don't actually make. You know, who our parents are, and and where we're born, and our genetic code. You know, we don't choose those things. And so I was I was fortunate um, in that regard. Maybe not all the genetics, but some <laughs> of them. And um, and so uh, 
I started out really, really young. I was fortunate that my parents kind of really pushed me hard um, into, into computers. And so I started coding when I was 13. And, uh, you know, I had my first little startup company, Virtual Academics, when I was 15, and, and kind of sold that uh, when I was uh, my senior in high school. And from there, you know, just continued to be fascinated with being able to take technology, specifically from a software perspective, and apply that to varying industries. I always kind of worked in a different industry, started out, you know, in the educational software space for kind of classroom management, and then evolved from there into uh, manufacturing software that was really more of like uh, BIOS level machine type uh, programming. And then from there, evolving into edu um, uh, tertiary education software. And then, you know, I was uh, fortunate to be part of Constant Contact, um, you know, which is a large, probably one of the nation's largest email marketing companies. And then the last company before going to .go uh, is where I was running a, a kind of a quant fund of fund out, out, of, out of Switzerland. I um, was really applying, you know, AI and software to being able to make kind of algorithmic choices in the publicly traded markets. Um, and, uh, you know, Nothing against the financial services industry, but I think I became a little bit burnt out at finding just a few more basis points in someone's portfolio uh, and, and really wanted to take all of those wonderful skills that were given to me, all of the, the history that had got me to that point of being able to provide value in a certain very, very niche area and apply that to something that was perhaps a bit more beneficial to society. And that, that's where I kind of came in contact with Stan Bashovsky, our, our CEO and founder. And, um, and we, you know, we kind of linked up together and looked at this, this industry of, of healthcare, specifically originally was around emergency medical services in the ambulance industry and saying, okay, how can we leverage technology to deliver both better patient outcomes, but actually, you know, in an industry that usually the companies don't make any money, being able to make money so that we can then invest that into training, higher equipment, innovative ideas. Um, and that's kind of where we built the company. Now, Transport Today is a smaller subset, but that's kind of how we built the company originally about six and a half years ago um, to where we are today. Beautiful. So tell us a little bit about what DocGo is. I love talking about DocGo. A few things, few things get me going more. Uh, so DocGo Today is probably the nation's, probably one of, if not the nation's largest fully met mobile medical provider. Mobile medical meaning that we deliver care with an innovative model of both clinical care delivery and uh, our model of uh, being able to be on site. And when I say on site, I mean delivering care outside of the fixed four walls of a traditional healthcare institution. That could be in your home, that could be in a homeless shelter, that could be in an office for employer healthcare, or that could be in the back of one of our mobile urgent care buses. If you think about it, it's like a, a, a cutaway school bus that's been converted into a primary and urgent care clinic. It can be in any of those settings, but we deliver care in a innovative model that creates increased accessibility. And we believe that the key towards both reducing cost and ensuring compliance, so the urgent care side to try and keep people out of the emergency rooms, and the preventative primary care side to make sure that people are compliant with their treatment protocols relative to their chronic conditions. In both circumstances, the most critical element of success is accessibility. 
And so if we can go to them, wherever them is, it could be on the side of the street for a homeless, unsheltered homeless individual, it could be in someone's home, or it could be somebody's at someone's employer. But wherever it might be, wherever they need is where we go. Wow, that sounds absolutely amazing. I want to kind of unpack some of this because there's a lot there. We, you said that this company was started six and a half years ago. You're up, there was obviously a problem that you were trying to solve. Um, enter COVID-19, an entire pandemic that really turned the world upside down and made healthcare highly disruptable. Tell us a little bit about the trajectory or the course or any pivoting that DOCO had to do in order to meet um, the issues that started happening at the time of the pandemic. Yeah, I'd like to think that DOCO is probably one of the most agile companies that are out there. We're here with a very strict mandate to provide value in the area of healthcare to society. And that's very broad. And so as we see opportunities where we can do that better, we move and we pivot. Um, you know, right, before, right at the start of the pandemic, because elective procedures were being um, uh, paused, uh, suspended at various different health systems, our actual transport business started to decrease significantly because a lot of what we did was discharges from these hospitals and they had low censuses. Um, and it was more increase in some of our emergency business, but decrease in the non-emergency, which, which is a larger percentage. So faced with this kind of existential crisis of, you know, are we going to shrink as a company and just accept the reality? We said, wait a second, we are in a health care pandemic, a crisis, and we have thousands of healthcare providers. Just because the single thing that they were initially trained to do for transport is not what the, is needed right this moment, for sure something in healthcare is needed that they can do. And then that's where we started to really, really uh, adapt and say, what more can our EMT and our paramedics do. And then it continued to expand and expand. And that's when we formed our clinical practice group. Our clinical practice group is where we have all of our, our physicians and we operate under a physician's license. We bring all of our providers under that license, our LPNs and our RNs and our PAs and our NPs. We started to build out that division because through the pandemic and now post-pandemic, there are two key differences that occurred, which have really driven DACO's trajectory. The first one is, and I think everybody is well, well aware of this, is that society has become significantly more expectant of virtual healthcare solutions and even solutions that don't make them leave their house, whether that is virtual or physical. So that's one cultural change that has happened in such a dramatic way. But virtual care only goes so far. If somebody calls you, if you, you go on a telehealth visit and you speak to, your, um, to a doctor and or, or a nurse and they tell you, oh, well, you have high blood pressure. I want to titrate your meds or I want to give you a prescription for, for high blood pressure. The standard protocol in most cases is that, is that you need to then have uh, you might need to have an EKG, blood pressure reading. You should probably have labs to determine whether or not, you know, what your liver function is. Those are things that are standard. Well, if I already have to go in and meet, go to a clinic, what was the purpose of trying to save time by doing the virtual visit? So virtual only goes so far. It can't really diagnose, can't do point of care testing. You know, it's really just vi video and audio. And that's, that's very limiting. 
.go has the virtual component, but then we bring people on site so that we have the physical touch point to be able to run those diagnostics, to be able to treat right then in there, whether that's a wound care or delivering antibiotics or, or whether that is um, doing something for people with chronic care management, like doing catheter flushes or a long list of services that we do on site in that person's home. So that's one big fundamental change that has happened in society is that people are more, their go-to, their default now is really, I want a telehealth solution, I want an in-person solution. Um, the second big thing that changed really quick is on, on the government side. Municipalities, local municipalities didn't use to budget and have a significant area of responsibility for population health. It wasn't their responsibility. It wasn't a city or a town or a county's responsibility really for population health. That's changed dramatically. And so now when you look at budgets for a local municipality like New York City or LA or Chicago or, or Houston, like the percentage of their budget that's now being allocated and earmarked for healthcare, specifically population health of the underserved has increased dramatically. And so those are the two areas that we operate in most predominantly. We, we deliver virtual onsite care for the underserved that's usually supported uh, or we are supporting a municipality and their population health efforts. I see. So there's a specific niche that you're targeting. So if you're looking at the entire healthcare ecosystem, we realize that companies like Teladoc sort of took a very specific space in terms of the virtual healthcare system. They'll probably have a certain niche of people who can pay, et cetera. Um, and then there's obviously people who've decided to come back to the institutional clinic environment to continue their healthcare but you're talking about a very specific niche of the underserved, underprivileged population. Yeah, I mean, but in the United States, that's more than half of the people. So it is a reality that I think sometimes as Americans, given, you know, I think we have a little bit of pride in our culture, um, we don't like to accept, but the majority, not the minority, the majority of Americans are underserved when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to their healthcare needs. The majority have a chronic condition, at least one, you know, whether that be diabetes or end-stage renal disease or chronic kidney disease, or they have COPD or CHF, you know, these, this gambit, what you're talking about there covers a very, very wide percentage. And then when you take that and then you include people who are on Medicaid or ACA or non-managed Medicare or they're underinsured, um, you know, so they're on like emergency Medicaid, you know, these individuals, they get almost no access to primary and preventative care. No access to primary and preventative so, care. So let's actually just walk that through as, a, as an individual or a consumer of your services. Um, I'm, let's just say, for example, I'm a woman who's staying in a, in a woman's shelter um, I have, uh, you know, uh, unmanaged di diabetes as an example. How do I enter into the system? Who is, who is referring me if I'm not actually accessing a primary physician? What is the, uh, the, the, the patient journey? Well, first and foremost, we start almost everything in our business by building a baseline. So when someone comes in, we initially do a, you know, they kind of, they go in through a check-in process. So if you're going into like a shelter, you're almost always going to have to go through a check-in vetting process that's usually organized by whoever's running that shelter. And through that, one of the first things that's required in most shelters, not all shelters, is that you undergo a health assessment. Um, in varying different degrees, but we kind of follow this kind of HRA health risk assessment model that's this standardized by Medicare. And from that, we then build out and say, okay, this person 
has these either pre-existing conditions or they have these chronic conditions that they're that need need treating um, or they just simply haven't undergone any preventative care ever and so we don't even know what it is that they may or may not be predisposed for diseases that they currently have and so we create that baseline from there and then from that baseline then we build out our kind of primary care type treatment protocols relative to what they are in need which really fa falls under our care management division our care management division brings them in and it's our it's usually our clinicians so they'll get on and our model our innovative kind of clinical delivery model is that we're delivering care with a lower level provider on site um, it could be like an lpn or an rn with a uh, an APP, which is like an LP, uh, which is an, uh, a PA or an NP, physician assistant or a nurse practitioner, that is remotely supervising the entire clinical encounter. And that person who's remotely supervising can be a specialist. So if we get a patient who has um, who has some sort of cardiovascular issue, we can have a cardiologist or a cardio, uh, cardiovascular nurse practitioner who is the one that's there, who's giving you very, very specifically specialized um, um, care guidance and, and directing that that LPN. So that person, the women's shelter, you know, they were they got their health risk assessment, and then from there we determined that they had diabetes. Now what we're doing in our care management program is that we're determining, okay, you know, how is your how do we get first of all remote patient monitoring set up so that we have the ability to know what your glucose levels are in various different times, usually every other day. And then from there, how are we set up so that we ensure that you're getting your medications? And so, you know, we know that not only they're being prescribed, but we actually, in our pharmacy, you know, we, we then dispense as well to make sure, because there's about 20 to 25% of patients who are prescribed medications don't get the first dose. So then how do we ensure that they actually get that first dose? Because they might be new into to diabetes or pre-diabetes. And so there's a lot of training involved there. Uh, and then ensuring that it's continuous, 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 and then handling urgent episodic uh, situations when, for instance, they might become hypoglycemic. Uh, and we have our team in the shelter who can deal with that rather than them having to go to the emergency room. So who, tell us a little bit about the business model, Anthony. Who is technically paying for your, your process and system? And, and quite frankly, how is this different than you know, going through the Medicaid process and the caregivers and system that evolves from, from there? Yeah, so majority of the time, in the case where we're dealing with the underserved, with population health, that tends to be um, contracted directly with one of the municipal organizations. So it could be contracting with whoever's in charge of that homeless, like the Department of Homeless Services, or it could be uh, D D you know, FSS, like the, the Family Services Department, or it could be the local county's hospital, like in New York City, we have New York City Health and Hospitals, or it could be with the local Department of Health organization, which in New York City is Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, um, or it could be DMH, um, Department of Mental Health, um, you know, in, uh, in LA, but each, there's kind of five different agencies within a municipality who we may work with and contract directly with. Oftentimes, it's, um, it's, it's not even DACO's brand. So we usually appear oftentimes as the municipality, and we're following oftentimes the municipality's protocols, um, or, you know, we will create those protocols collaboratively, but we really want to work as an extension of the municipality from the perspective of delivering mobile healthcare or on-site healthcare in some of their most difficult to reach locations. Got it, I see. 
Now, um, so there's a lot of interesting things. And one of the things that DocGo does is they've introduced and implemented technology into a, a system and a situation and issue where it, it's becoming overwhelmed and over flooded and basically in some ways kind of broken in a lot of ways. How is DocGo implementing and utilizing technology to, um, to optimize what's currently happening? A lot of ways, a lot of ways. First thing comes down to utilization. Uh, we built the company originally on utilization. In the way that the reason why most ambulance companies, when you get in, tend not to make any money is because of low utilization. So when you get in, you say, well, what can I do? Well, you can't pay people less because they're already usually making very close to minimum wage, a lot of companies. And you can't increase your revenue per transport because that's fixed by Medicare. So the only thing you can really do to make more money as an ambulance company is to do more. You run more trips on your shift. Well, we built out our own software. It's called Dara, which entirely focuses on utilization. It's routing optimization. It really leverages that AI. It was kind of the intellectual reason, I guess, that I joined the company was that I had the ability to apply my academic training to a very practical circumstance of how do we have the ability to make sure the ambulances are running. Well, fast forward a few years to when we got into the mobile health division, that applies just the same way? How can we utilize our clinical resources in the most efficient way possible so that we can uh, scale as quickly as possible, but also we can keep costs at a very, very low, uh, at a very, very reasonable rate? Because keep in mind, oftentimes you might be dealing with like a Medicaid level reimbursement, which is very low. And the reason why Medicaid patients get such poor service is because the reimbursement rates are so low. So it's not worth it for most providers. You know, a doctor who might be making $250 an hour can't survive on a, uh, a primary care visit with a Medicaid patient that pays, you know, maybe $50 or $60, right? It's just the unit economics don't work. We have a model where we use a lower level provider. And so our cost base is much lower combined with our technology, which is constantly making sure that we're utilizing those people in the maximum efficiency possible with very, very little idle time. So the tech, and we've probably put in, in the, just the first two years, probably $20 million worth of investment, probably over 40, $45 million um, since inception of the company. You know, I'm at our headquarters right now in, in Herald Square, and we have a whole floor just dedicated to our whole software engineering team. You know, we're very big into having, you know, our New York-based software team here. And, um, and so the, the tech is the biggest differentiator when it comes to our ability to deliver innovative healthcare. How else is the technology being used to manage the data, manage the people. We hear a lot about waste that happens in healthcare, especially with underserved and underprivileged populations who go in and out, who might abuse the system, who may be um, getting multiple prescriptions for things. How, how else is the technology helping to manage that and also to minimize costs for the payers? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the key components that we believe in fundamentally is transparency. And so our technology basically feeds into these kind of BI dashboards, which gives our customers and our providers and our medical directors real-time transparency. Not like they have to ask for us, maybe the data is adulterated, you know, and we're just trying to skew it so that we look successful always. Real-time, objective raw transparency. And that has been a critical, re that's been probably one of the key reasons why we've been so high quality is because 
whenever there's an issue, and trust me, there are issues, we are far from perfect as an organization, um, people know about them relatively quickly. And so then they get addressed, they get investigated, we do retrospectives, they get filed, we have a large, large compliance team um, and, and clinical team, which then does their, their kind of um, analysis and debrief to figure out, okay, what do we change going forward? But that real-time transparency, so the customer can come back to us by taking all that data in and saying, hey, you know, it looks like, you know, we had an issue at this site, because you had a staffing issue or because, you know, the efficiency at this site is too low or, um, you know, all the issues when it comes to like uh, complaints or encounters are in there or just let's say customer service, simple, basic customer service. Every single patient that gets uh, every single patient that has a visit with us, they rate us with an NPS score every single one. So we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of MPS ratings. Because of that, we can go granular to where we know there's a low MPS site on a specific site or under a specific manager or with a specific provider to that granularity. And then with that transparency goes back to the customer and they could say, hey, this site, it has like a really low net promoter score for you know, the, the, the patients that have been visiting there over the last month, what are we going to do? And they have that transparency so they can also hold us accountable. And I think what that does is that builds a strong trust relationship with the customer that we're not only telling them the good, but they can see for themselves the bad. That's fantastic. Um, we actually know, and this is across the globe, I mean, we've heard about the great resignation. We've heard about all these sorts of shortages, specifically in healthcare because of burnout and because of COVID and all the <clears throat> the issues with that. I'm curious about the business model and the, the sustainability and the, and the scalability, if you will, of a healthcare business that requires an actual feed on the ground services. What is the plan to continue to grow in light of basically a global healthcare worker shortage? First, we acknowledged early on that this was the most important part of our business was people. Like, you know, although the differentiator is technology, the core, the foundation is people. So we have to be very good at people. Um, that means bringing in new people, retaining existing people, continuing to expand the scope of all of our existing people as well. Um, and so I'd say we're best in class when it comes to um, when it comes to staffing and when it comes to, to recruiting and keeping talent. That's for a multitude of reasons. But there are months where we'll go and we'll have to hire 500 providers in a month, 600 providers in a month, uh, fully trained staff with all the logistics, all of our medical oversight, usually our equipment or technology um, that they've been trained on, all of that together. And we will have a, a time frame where a normal company would have said, we need like six months, maybe nine months. I got to build a project plan. You know, I have to do, you know, launch it very gradually. And DOCO comes in and, you know, a municipality will come to us and say, I have this urgent, emergent need, and I need you to hire six, five, 600 people overnight, basically. And we get it done. We're a massive recruiting team. Um, and we have a, a network of about a million providers that we pull from. Um, and they're the ones that are able to come in and really fill that, fill that, that need very, very, very quickly. Um, and so I think we, you know, for us, you know, and, and I would say that, you know, DocGo is just in its, its first inning, you know, I think we are, we are right just at the start of what you're going to see of our company. It's very exciting, actually, Anthony, because if we look back to the history of healthcare, there used to be house visits by physicians. <laughs> That's kind of how it started. 
then we went back to institutional and clinic based and sort of we're now back at this place, but again, augmented and optimized with technology. There's a lot of discussion about, you know, not enough healthcare spaces, the home becoming the new hospital. How do you see technology evolving and then utilizing people like at DocGo being able to service, if you will, people, you know, within their homes? What is that going to look like in the future? Well, I, I couldn't agree more with the sentiment uh, that you started with there, which is that it used to be <laughs> that healthcare was personalized with a physician that went into your home. It was taken out of the home and, uh, and moved into large institutions like hospital systems, not because it was better clinically, but because it was more efficient. They're just simply it, doctors ended up making more. There are fewer of them relative to the growing population. And so it just wasn't practical to have doctors going into the home relative to the cost. And, and so it was a cost reason, not a quality reason. So we, .go, I believe, have the ability to get back to that precise, concise, tailored model of healthcare to you that goes into your home or goes to your office or goes to your homeless shelter or your woman's shelter or meets you on the curb, whatever it might be, where healthcare that's tailored to you without and solving the problem of that really extreme high cost when it comes to a doctor visiting you on site because of our clinical care delivery model. And so, you know, when we look at the, the us kind of, we're actually kind of going back in time, if you will, to the way healthcare was originally developed, but now we're layering on this technology, which allows for not only all that real-time transparency and the routing and efficiency. But when our lower level clinician is physically on site, they have a large iPad Pro that's connected. That is connected then live with all of our remote diagnostic equipment that has high resolution medical grade cameras that are looking in your ears, looking in your, your throat, looking in your eyes, looking at your skin. They have with them all of the diagnostics for doing all of your, your EKG as an example. They can do point of care tests that get read back there. Like let's say you call us and say, oh, my child has a throat irritation. We show up. The uh, Physician assistant tells the, our LPN, I need you to take the camera with the, the throat depressor or the tongue depressor and look down the back of the throat. It says, oh, there's some white specks. I'd like you to run a test. The LPN takes a throat culture, puts that into our, our piccolo machine, and then very shortly thereafter is able to say, your child has strep. And then right after that, our physician assistant writes a script for antibiotics that goes to the pharmacy kiosk little box that's in the back part of the SUV of the, the, the LPN, they walk out to their car, out pops the script for the antibiotics and maybe steroids, depending on sev- how severe it is, right? And then they go back in the home and they give to the parent the antibiotics for your kid. So all in one place that we have the ability to do the diagnostic, the assessment, and the treatment all in one, you know, maybe 30, 40 minute uh, 30 minute span. And we're able to do that at a cost that is substantially lower than going to an emergency room and even lower than going to an urgent care. So convenience and cost are both better. Well, Anthony, you just described a system that is actually way better than the healthcare system I currently have. Why can't I have access to on-demand um, diagnostics, tr- you, you know, uh, assessment and then medication dis- dispensation. Why is this just going to be for the underserved and underprivileged? 
It's not. If you're in New York or New Jersey today, you can go on to the um, the iOS app store. It'll soon be on Android as well. But right now you can go into the iOS app store and you can download the app. It's called DocGo On Demand. And in that you can order exactly what I just described to you. You can wake up in the morning and say, my child isn't feeling good. I'd like a nurse to come and take a look at them. Select the time. Within an hour, maximum two hours, you're going to have a, uh, a nurse at your house. It's in New York and New Jersey. Um, and then as we're proving this out, we're going to expand it, you know, and, and in Tennessee actually as well. Um, and uh, we're going to expand that across the entire country. We also have something similar like that um, up, in, up in Canada. We actually launched a B2C offering in Montreal. And, um, and so individuals can get similar services that I just mentioned um, up in Montreal, and eventually that'll expand to the rest of Canada. Yeah, you will need to come to Toronto for sure. We're in a really big healthcare issue here. So we need doctors and we need healthcare. Um, anyway, um, that's absolutely fantastic. I'm just curious as well, too, is there safety issues? Um, you know, you're going out into the wild, if you will, you don't really know what you're going to be getting into. How do you protect the 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 subcontractors or employees of DocGo? Yeah, and we have a lot of them. You know, we were a big believer in employees, not really subcontractors or, or contractors. We have them you know, well over 4,000 of them, you know, hitting the street every single day that we need to manage. A lot of it comes down to training, oftentimes having security guards on site as well. Um, many of the situations are precarious. A lot of the people that go and they work in the underserved, they do so because they want to make a difference and they know that there's a risk. There's a real risk associated with doing that. Sometimes, you know, we encounter gang violence. Sometimes we encounter people that are, are highly mentally unstable or they're addicted to drugs and they're going through withdrawal. Um, all of those are very precarious situations that put our employees in difficult circumstances. So we have a lot of training protocols on how to detect that, how to de-escalate, how to have the um, security guards get involved, how to make sure that there's always multiple people in a room, you know, just a lot of safeguards that really try to reduce and mitigate the chances that there's going to be a negative outcome when it comes to working with a patient or some sort of aggressive action. Um, and we've, we've learned a lot. I think over the last few years of doing this, we've gotten increasingly more proficient at ensuring that there's more and more safeguards to protect our employees. Um, but I got to tell you, you know, our employees who are out there every day, they do some of the greatest work in our country. I mean, they are truly delivering healthcare to people that don't have access to it, and they're not easy to work with. It's easy. It's much easier to help somebody that wants to be helped and is easy and calm the whole time. Very difficult to help somebody who maybe isn't mentally cognitive and it, and it doesn't have the capacity to understand that they need help uh, and is also very combative. Very yeah. difficult to help people like that. But I got to tell you, it is very courageous day. work. Absolutely. And, you know, power to it. I completely agree. And I think it's an extremely honorable business that you're running. So thank you for that. Um, curious about, you know, you're an expert in artificial intelligence, um, all kinds of great technologies. What are you most excited about? What's next for .go? Well, we're going to continue to grow, obviously, into more geographies and our existing service lines that we've proven out. Um, so there's going to be a lot, you know, that we'll see in our continued expansion. Uh, one of the things that, you know, we're going to see more and more that we believe pretty strongly in is remote patient monitoring. And that is where, you know, you have patients with chronic conditions and you can get kind of real time data on them and their condition. We believe strongly that that does two things. One, that that is a 
the real-time data on their conditions that is more holistic, like you're looking at, you know, not only what their blood pressure is, but what their sleep pattern is, not only what their glucose levels are, um, but also what their posterity and movement are for the day. And you look at that holistic view of a patient that we believe that we can really dramatically reduce the likelihood of acute episodic uh, circumstances where you have some sort of decompensation and the patient has to go to the emergency room, which is the most expensive part of care. So that's one angle on RPM, which I think is so interesting. The second is that it really is the catalyst to trigger all of our other services, whether that's the primary preventative services where we have to go and do more preventative care for that person because we just realized they're starting to um, progress into a disease or on, you know, all of our acute episodic services, as I mentioned, but all of our services across the board can really be utilized best when they are informed by data. And that RPM is what gives us the real-time data to be able to understand the patient and then to use our AI to be able to do predictive analytics for the trying to determine what patients have highest likelihoods of negative outcomes. Fantastic. Wow. Phenomenal. Um, I just absolutely love what you're doing. I'm very excited about it. And I, and I'm wishing you the best for anybody who's interested in connecting with Anthony Capone, learning more about DOCO, highly recommend look for his contact details in the show notes below. Um, these are the kinds of things that we actually talk about in, in the impetus digital, when we work with providers, patients, physicians, companies like DOCO, when we work together collaboratively, asynchronously and synchronously to devise plans and to recreate customer journeys very similar to what DOCO has created is how do we how do we scale this? How do we start talking? How does pharma get involved, especially with the idea of immediate dissemination of medication? So lots of cool things. Check out impetusdigital.com as well. We uh, really appreciate, please like and subscribe to our channel. We're really also, if you can leave us some feedback on iTunes, we really appreciate it. I want to thank everybody for their time today. And thank you, Anthony, for a phenomenal conversation. Thank you for listening to this Healthcare Goes Digital podcast. Impetus Digital are the business-to-business -business virtual engagement experts and provide immersive virtual collaboration and communication solutions for advisory boards, medical education meetings, events, conferences, and projects worldwide, all delivered with our award-winning white glove service. Visit us at impetusdigital.com or book a demo at meetwithimpetus.com to find out more and visit us on our LinkedIn. Twitter, and YouTube channel to see other inspiring conversations for you to share with your network.